Welcome to the Command Post podcast powered by First Do. I'm your host, Tom Lewis, First Do's Enterprise Training Manager. Today, I am pleased to welcome Dr. Matt Heinz Aldrich to this episode of our podcast. Simply put, Matt is a data ninja. He has led many national initiatives to improve how fire departments make effective use of their data. In his current role at the American Association of Insurance Services, he leads their development, expansion, and adoption of FLAMES, Fire Loss and Mitigation Evaluation Score, that helps insurers assess local fire protection efforts. Matt has also worked for the NFPA, Atlanta Fire and Rescue, where he and I first met, and at Anna Marie College. His PhD research focused on the occupational culture of the fire service, resulting in publication in several national and international journals. So get ready to leave this podcast a little bit smarter than when you arrived. Dr. Matt Hines, I'll just thank you so much for uh, joining us on today's podcast. It is a privilege and honor to have you here with us today. Um, But just so just thank you. Yeah, thanks for the invite, Tom. Appreciate it. You bet. And and the topic of today's conversation is why infers still matters and why it needs to improve. And before we get into a lot of that nitty gritty of infers and your history with it, um, share with us a little bit of your background and why you're so passionate about data, despite not necessarily being a data guy, as I learned. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, yeah, that is the uh, that's the, the big secret. So, uh, um, <laughs> if there was a spoiler, is I'm actually not a data guy, um, and uh, I kind of stumbled on it because I <clears throat> a couple of the things that really uh, were important to me were how do we demonstrate the value of the, of the fire service in terms of uh, uh, that the the role the fire service plays in local communities, and then at the same time. How do we um, how do we start mitigating risk and uh, in communities, particularly community risk reduction? And in both of those paths, and came back to data. And data was the thing for me that um, was the big um, the big pink elephant in many cases. It was the thing that um, was the, the the part of the like the kind of the linchpin of the problem, I guess to say. And so uh, I kind of inadvertently stumbled upon uh, data and, and started doing some projects and some other things. And it really kind of Sort of fell in my lap, and uh, and despite having uh, um, gone well out of my way in my, in my life to try to avoid stats and and, and data, I've now kind of become the the data guy, and uh, um, which is a term I wear lightly. But uh, um, but it, but it's a point that is uh, so I just realized that kind of this was the part that seemed to be a major struggle for a lot of communities and a lot of fire departments, and so I kind of. Um, I don't know, perhaps I, I kind of fell into that role and had a pretty timely uh, um, point. So, Well, we're all better for it. And I know Enfers is a part of that, right? Because Enfers is one part of the data that is collected by fire departments to tell their story to their community, their performance, the what, the hows, and on all of that. And when it comes to Enfers, just again, and I know that you're not necessarily you know, work for the United States Fire Administration, but you've worked closely with Enfers Data and, and you know a lot about it, right? Um, share a little bit about its its history um, as you've worked with it, where it's been, where it, where it is now, and where you see it going from someone who works with it day-to-day. Sure. So like many folks, I got involved with Enfers, um, having worked in, in a fire department and for a fire department 
in my, uh, my case, um, predominantly most of my work was in, the, in a civilian role with a uh, large Metro fire department. And so I saw kind of the, the process of how data get created and, and what have you used. And so to my thinking at the time, it was more Enfers was the data that was collected by a fire department for our own use. And I knew it went somewhere else and I knew it got, uh, um, it kind of went up the food chain, but it wasn't really a key priority of, of ours at the time. Um, the more I started to try to understand kind of the life cycle of the data and where that data went and tried to understand the bigger picture, it, uh, it all became kind of a bit more clear. And I uh, started to try to understand how did this, this current uh, process and this current uh, um, um, way of collecting and managing and sharing and, and consolidating data, how did it come to be? And so I spent a, a bit of time kind of digging into, uh, uh, and, into it and to try to understand um, that, uh, that process. And so in doing so, I, like a lot of things, I tried to understand kind of where did it come from. And so I spent a little bit of time, and I'm certainly by no means expert on Enfer's history. I've kind of come into it rather late in the game. So there's a lot of folks that have a lot more historical knowledge and, uh, and perhaps even an interest in kind of where, like the and perhaps were involved in some of those early meetings. But I think there's a lot to be gained from our uh, from kind of taking a step back and looking at where Enfer's came from. So, um, so you. Presumably, most people would be familiar with the America Burning um, uh, document that was created about, uh, this has been almost uh, 50 years now, I guess. Yeah, this is yeah. the 50th year. Um, and so uh, um, and, and so this the America's Burning really highlighted that uh, one of the things we didn't know is really what was the sources uh, of fire across the country, because we had a kind of a kind of a patchwork understanding of that from some of the large metro, metro fire departments. And we just really didn't have a good, clear understanding of the sources of fire and more importantly, how to translate that into actually reducing those fires. And so, um, and so what some of the major themes that came out of that, uh, uh, that America's burning was uh, the need to better collect and standardize data collection among the fire departments across the country. And so, um, and so if, in, in doing some of this research, I actually went back to the founding legislation and, uh, um, and found some of the original, um, the, the original basically act of Congress that, uh, that set up the National Fire Data Center. Uh, it set up the, uh, I think at the time it was called the National Fire Prevention and Control Administration, which now is referred to as the U.S. Fire Administration. But, uh, mm -hmm. but it created, uh, and it said one of the founding charges and missions of that organization was going to be the collection and consolidation of data from, uh, about the fire problem. And so, uh, uh, and it's worth noting that, that data collection did not, uh, was not uh, like imagined, if you will, through uh, first. There was actually some, a lot of work that was already going on and, and data that was being collected. There was something I believe called the Uniform Fire Report um, that kind of predated first. And, uh, but it wasn't widely, it wasn't universally adopted. And, uh, um, and so we, again, um, through this process, they said, we need to create a, uh, two parts. And I think this is a really a key distinction. We need to create a standardized way of collecting and, and uh, documenting data uh, about fire incidents. And then we also need to create a process for consolidating that data. Those are two parts of ENFERS that often get kind of conflated. The, um, and so kind of the, 
in some ways it's kind of referred to as like a data dictionary. So we need to establish what the data dictionary is and, and what codes we are going to use to uh, categorize the various different types of incidents that we may respond to. And then separately, what is the kind of um, the, the, um, the flow through which data is collected? And, and the key part of that, and I don't want to get all a civics lesson, but the key part of that is that the, uh, this whole idea of, of like the importance of the states that uh, the state fire marshals have a, a key and essential role in the collection and, and eventual dissemination of NFIRST data. So as you may be familiar, the fire departments create the data. They typically then send that on to their state fire marshal's office who then consolidates the data for their state. And then typically that gets sent on to the U.S. Fire Administration. There are, there are kind of asterisks that go in, in there. There's some other uh, other things that perhaps uh, um, there's other ways to kind of directly import it, but by and large, that's what happens. And so we created this, we created a system to solve the problem of helping us understand what are the broad causes of fire. And I kind of, I say it that way deliberately because the way NFERS has come to be used in the 50 years since uh, America burning have dramatically changed and, and grown and shifted and and uh, and the problem is is uh, and this is kind of to get towards where we uh, um, kind of the the importance of um, helping to modernize NFERS is that some of the things that fire departments are using and collecting data for now were never part of that original goal or mission or or like the charge, if you will, of of what NFERS was created to do, and so. Uh, so sometimes, and that's one of the points I tried to make, was that we measure the effectiveness or whether NFERS is good or not on a yardstick that was never intended to be measured against. And so, and that's where some of the uh, kind of debates and arguments come from. Um, and so, but, it, but it's one of those that I think there's, it's worth going back to kind of understanding where NFERS came from and what it was trying to solve, because it was not trying to solve how do we ensure that we're deploying our resources effectively? That was never part of the goal of NFERS. Right. However, that's what a lot of fire departments are now trying to use their data collection uh, for. And so there's kind of a, there's an opportunity to, to, to take a, a kind of a, just a, another look at um, the way we collect and use data now and see how and where NFERS fits in that, to that important picture. And, and to your point, NFERS is an important part of that um, ecosystem. It's just not the only part of that ecosystem. Right, and I think there's a lot to like about NFERS. I mean, not, not the least of which is its overall standardization. Now, granted, there are some plus one codes added at local jurisdictions, state level, and so forth. But generally speaking, I think um, it's a, it's a po positive, right? NEMSIS collects a tremendous amount of data, but it's also highly configurable on a state-by-state -state basis, which ultimately changes its overall national standardization. And so, you know, taking the, the, the lot of good that goes with NFERS, what, um, what are some of the things that you see as opportunities for improvement? Maybe like the top two or three things that you think NFERS at its next level can really, you know, up, up its game for the fire service. Sure. So I think the, the perhaps first and most important part is kind of, you just alluded to it, which is that. Um, with the most recent uh, major major version change of NFERS, which is a bit uh, 
I think we can all admit was a, a little while ago. Um, one of the, the key drivers for this was realizing that, because um, again, Enfers was initially for fire instance, that was the yes. original ch charge. Uh, there with version five, there was a, a realization that we need to, that fire departments are all hazard or response organizations. And so we need to come up with ways and, and, and codes and, resp and response categories for um, documenting all the various different activities that fire departments do. And so it became an all hazards data collection system. The problem, though, is it tried to, to uh, be all things to all people, and it's very hard and becomes infinitely more complex when you try to do that. And so, so you brought up Nemesis as an example, and that's, a, uh, that's probably the best example that we have, that um, Enfers tried to create a module that helps document and uh, create a consistent way for, um, for standardizing data about pretty much the vast majority of, uh, of activities that fire departments would do. There's of course a lot of things missing, but, but, uh, um, but EMS, as we know, is a significant um, fo focus of many fire departments. That's where the majority of most fire departments that, that at least the ones that do EMS response, um, a lot of their calls are for, for uh, medical uh, and medical in nature. And so there is an EMS module in Enfers. By and large, as my understanding, it's not um, particularly well filled out. It's not particularly well utilized. And there is a competing um, um, documentation approach that is, uh, uh, so we're probably most people on the, uh, listening to this will be familiar with Nemesis. And so, um, and so there's a lot of, that's just a great illustration because we start seeing that when Enfers tried to be all things to all people, it, it became very hard, large and very hard to make changes. And there was this kind of give and take between what is the uh, uh, what is the minimum amount of information we need to collect to be useful versus let's let's try to avoid um, trying to make this thing um, adding every single code under the sun. Unfortunately, some might say that we added every code under the sun for fire. It's probably good we didn't try to do that for EMS because the EMS module would be uh, would be uh, a monstrosity. Sure. But the challenge is is that where you see fire departments, uh, a substantial number of them are responding to medical calls. The vast majority of those calls fit into the 321 um, insurance sure. type. Yeah. And so it's really hard to, you mentioned earlier about telling the story of the fire department. It's really hard to tell your story when say 60% of your calls are, are coded as a 321 as like medical, uh, medical call non-accident. It really makes it hard to uh, get into well, how many of those were heart attacks, how many of those were strokes, how many of those were allergic reactions, how many of those were some other type of um, um, of medical response. It really makes it hard to uh, to tell your story, and so there is a competing um, standardization effort with Nemesis. So the question then becomes: Is should we actually? Uh, put Enfers, should we realize this ecosystem and that Enfers is not the only rec data system of record, but do so in a way that allows us to, um, to kind of uh, create the cross linkages and the, uh, the primary keys to put more of a data spin on it. Uh, so we can actually link records as opposed to having it one system that is the, the knower of all things. Well, you know, that, we, no, no, and what you're saying there so is, is good because I think um, when you've got arguably the, the de facto standards for 
EMS, Nemesis, and then for fire and all hazards, which includes EMS, but not to the level of detail that Nemesis would provide. Um, and, and we can talk a little bit about this later as how vendors have a role in this too, right? Like first do, you know, bringing, how can we make that ability to capture effectively, right? Both the data necessary for an EMS call, but also the end first component of it, but then the significant level of detail needed in an Nemesis report. And I think uh, vendors have a unique role in that. And, and, and again, um, we can, the good ones, and we hope first do is going to be one of those good ones and continues to be one of those good, really great ones to be able to make that such a um, seamless process. There's no shortcutting it, right? There's no, there's no super fast way to get an NFERS report in. Sure, a lot of the CAD data can populate the times and such. Uh, a, a patient, uh, patient care record, an EPCR, an EHR, that still requires a medic, an EMT, to be thorough, right? And mm -hmm. I guess that's a little bit about um, where I wanted to ask you next too, as, as you talked about um, some of the priorities that for improving NFERS, right? Um, so taking that, what, what what are some things NFERS can, can improve? So that's kind of part one, right? Continuing mm -hmm. with that. But then as these systems exist today, in particular NFERS, what kind of things can you say to the listeners and viewers about how they can just do a better job, right? Because Enfers, you can, for the lack of a better term, kind of cheat Enfers, right? You can put things in that aren't authentic to your incident because you want to get that report done. And we've heard stories, anecdotes, you know, throughout our careers about that. But share both, you know, continue kind of with the thought you had, you know, where Enfers is kind of going and opportunities for it to enhance itself. And then as it exists today, what can we all do better to make that data full-on trustworthy for the decision makers at the local, state, and national level. Sure. Yeah, and that's where part of this is that uh, um, for a long time, um, it's kind of been assumed, I think, by a lot of people in the fire service that as soon as you hit submit on your, in your incident report, that it just goes into this black hole and that no one's ever going to look at it. And so it really doesn't matter what I write in there because... I mean, if I do a really good job, no one's ever going to look at it. If I do a really bad job, no one's ever going to look at it. And, and, and I'm certainly never going to have any consequences for, um, for doing a, a, a bad job. And I mean, in my, uh, in my lab, when, when I worked in a large metro department, we found uh, there was the software we used was pretty, uh, pretty dated. And, it'll, and it didn't have a whole lot of validations. And we've actually found that somebody in their infinite wisdom had figured out that if you just hit period, like tab, period, tab, period, tab, period, tab. <laughs> it would it would go through an entire incident report just putting periods in every single field. And because it didn't, the only validation was that you had to have something, some uh, character in every field. It didn't actually say it had to be, you know, an alpha character or a particular code or whatever. And so somebody figured out that you, in our, the system we were using at that time, that you could basically uh, uh, just hit periods, put and, and then eventually it'll, it'll make, as, they, uh, as, as often was said in my department, make it go green. All the validations would, right. uh, would turn green and you, it would allow you to submit. And again, the, the assumption was no one's ever going to look. That person, and, and frankly, I'm sure a lot of other people were very surprised when uh, um, we actually did find it. And uh, they were then uh, re politely requested to uh, correct that report. And of course, the downside was is it probably was a month later, so they had to try to remember what had happened. Right. Um, but, the, but the point being is that by and large, uh, fire departments and firefighters, there was never an emphasis placed on documentation. And so um, 
and, and so we didn't do a very good job of, of training firefighters and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, in basic, uh, incident report, uh, writing and the extent to which many departments, and again, I'm going to extrapolate here was that a lot of, um, the training was just simply, how do you use the software? What button do you click? And some literally, uh, I, I helped redo some training on this. And the previous version was just a whole bunch of screenshots with arrows and said, click here, mm. click here, click here, and then submit. There was no actual emphasis in terms of what you should be writing. Uh, and so why, right? A- and why, why this matters, exactly. right? Why does this matter? Because I think I've always believed that, you know, as, as a captain, as a battalion chief, a key part of my job was to help convey the why. Why is my chief wanting this? Why are we doing this? And sometimes we could still grumble about it, but at the end of the day, if we understand the why, it, it I think for me, it put the, when I had a boss that would do that, it would change the way I approached it, right? It wasn't just keyboard whipping it to get it done. It was, you know, this is going to matter. Maybe what we, the story we tell will help get us more manpower, more machines, more money for our department. And our chief has a story that he can tell, right? And I say that because he has to convey that in a way to different audiences, somewhat more in-depth knowledge and, and data and get into the weeds. Others want maybe a bush or a um, treetop level and then others simply just want the forest view, right? And so sure. if we're doing it right and it's trustworthy, and like you said, it's more than simply just fill in these fields, there's a why behind it, then that I think has an opportunity to enhance the overall quality of what we're putting forth. And, you know, QA process, you know, Vendors putting in correct validation rules that truly, you know, prompt and force the user to, to enter things correctly. I think all of those elements come together to creating trustworthy data that when you see these reports, it's there's truth to it, not just, you know, fluff, frankly. Oh, exactly. And so, and, I, and I'm sure a lot of people have had similar experiences where, um, where the, the folks in the field, the, uh, the like line, uh, line personnel, uh, we had specifically where they wanted, um, they were re- like really um, screaming pretty loudly at that point about how some of our, um, some of our rescue tools and our um, um, needed to be replaced and how, uh, how antiquated they were and how, um, how beat up they were and how uh, just basically they weren't getting the job done. Right. And, and so, and what, uh, going back to your thing of emphasis about how we should emphasize the why it really the the, the uh, to to justify that we start actually running some of our reports of how many times did we use our rescue tools, how many mm. entrapments did we actually run, how many times did we uh, um, have to actually use these uh, this equipment that uh, um, to jump to emphasize why we need to invest at that point is probably going to be millions of dollars because you're talking about numerous uh, apparatus and, and numerous sets. Like uh, we need to justify to our elected officials and, and those, uh, the people that entrust us with their budget, why we're using their money effectively. The problem is, is when we actually ran the numbers, we actually had found that there was only pro- in, a, in a year in a major metro department, we had only actually documented that we actually used the rescue tools about like six times. And like when we brought this up to their attention, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's crazy. We, right. I've, I've used them six times this week. And yep. It's like I, I agree. I've heard the calls. I like. I know you're busy. I know you're you're running your tails off. The problem is, is you're not documenting any of this. So when we turn around and try to demonstrate to our elected officials of here's why we need to invest millions of dollars in new rescue tools, we had nothing to support that. Yep, it's a classic as a medic. If you didn't write it down, it didn't happen. And that's there's the documentation right there. Chief can't go to the city council and say, 
you know, I'm, I'm putting this line item in my budget for new, new extrication sets for multiple engine companies or truck companies. Um, if he doesn't have the data that you're running your butts off with this and you're, you know, you're wearing these tools out because you're using them. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where, and, and to your point that we can, we have to make sure that the why actually matters to the people who are doing, uh, filling out the report. Sure. Because, because those, the reports, like when they're trying to fill out the report at two o'clock in the morning, they can, um, and, and all they want to do is get back to sleep because it's the, probably the third call past midnight. Um, all they want to do is get back to sleep. And so we're trying to figure out how do we, um, there's no magic pill that's going to make it just everyone just love filling out reports. That's never mm-hmm. going to happen. I think mm-hmm. we just need to recognize that. However, the more we can, we can show them how that information gets utilized. And, and, and again, sometimes through that QA process, we start emphasizing um, uh, or just, again, identifying areas for uh, we perhaps need to uh, improve. And one of the areas, and, and perhaps with EMS does a better job of this, is, is reached around uh, EMS narratives. Um, there's a lot good and a lot bad about uh, some of the mnemonics that we use for, uh, for EMS narratives, like SOAP and CHART and some of those other ones. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of medics out there that would um, perhaps flag that maybe we don't want to use those um, those ways of of kind of standardizing narratives. But the at least the good we can say about that is that from an early uh, point in a, in a uh, EMT basic or intermediate or or, or medics um, experience, from early on they get taught that documentation matters and that their narrative should be done in a consistent and useful way so that somebody picking up the report mm-hmm. most likely a year or two later and frankly sometimes that same medic if there is a, a court case or some other uh, repercussions from that incident that they can actually go back and read through and remember what actually occurred or they can articulate based on that exactly so a lot of what, times our what fire did, narratives, yes. what 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 they what they found what they did mm-hmm. And what happened after they performed any kind of treatment or, or, or care for, for the patient. I know we were held to a very high standard uh, on narratives and uh, I wouldn't say graded harshly, but yeah, graded harshly. Cause that, in addition to all the vital document vitals documentation and the ECG and all of that, that we put into the report, that was, I would always say if this were up in a court courtroom blown up giant size, full screen, can you stand by it? Would it reflect the level of care you actually gave the patient? Absolutely. And so, so we've, we're, we, this is not foreign to us on the EMS side of the house. Um, it, it seems to be still pretty foreign on the fire side of the house, but perhaps the better comparison uh, is with law enforcement. Mm. I, I know what uh, kind of flagged that up a little bit in, in that report or that thing I wrote up was, was really that from early on, um, a, a young trainee police officer is going to have it beat into their head um, that whatever they write in that report is going to come back um, to bite them or to support them. And so there's a, a strong emphasis. They, they see the life cycle of data. They see that um, they're, they're trained from early on that for going from collecting the data to um, to to like reviewing the data. And they were also told from early on that their sergeant um, or, or there's going to be some other layer of, of approval before every report gets actually officially submitted. Somebody else is going to look at it. So they're told from day one, whatever you write, someone else is going to immediately going to review and send it back to you to redo if you, if, uh, um, if it was done poorly, but then they do mock trials. They do all these other things that really drive home this point that, um, that whatever you write is going to be come back to, to, um, 
potentially be thrown in your face and, and the extent to which you're able to uh, confidently and competently um, articulate what occurred, why it occurred, what you were thinking, um, what some of the other perhaps mitigating factors were, that could potentially come back to support and, uh, and validate um, why they did what they did. And so um, thankfully, we were, we're blessed that many of the folks um, responding to, to fire emergencies don't end up in court. But there's always that possibility. And, uh, and even if they don't end up in court, there's a lot of information that could be put in, in narratives that would be really valuable for whether after action reports or anything like that. Um, and so we're starting to see greater emphasis on writing. In fact, actually, I, there's a kind of interesting trend that people might be aware of that uh, um, there's actually some now English professors and, and technical writing folks that are actually mm. getting into start training people. How do you fill out, how do you write narratives? And it's not just a it's not surprisingly, and this was kind of the thing that caught me uh, off guard was that I figured this was like, we're going to teach you the mechanics of writing and what the noun and a subject and a verb is, you know, have you, but it's actually um, these English professors, they, they, they actually take it a step further, which is actually, how do you think about and frame what you did and try to articulate and, and explain what you did? So it's not just about like, you know, understanding grammar basis right right but it's, it's not about, just the mechanic it's not i mean exactly. that's that's a key element for sure but it's not the only element especially as an adult learner you need more than that exactly and so it's really and but but then there's also like the cool part is there's some really innovative stuff that potentially can be done with these narratives um through like natural language processing and all this kind of cool data stuff that potentially we could find all kinds of really inf interesting information out of it but only if people put good information into it Right, right. Well, yeah, and you mentioned law enforcement, and I know you cited. You said the thing you wrote. It's much more than just the thing. I like how you just kind of went through that quickly. It's I put. I'll put it in the link in in uh, in the in the the description for uh, both the podcast and the YouTube recording of this. But it's a terrific article about um, Enfers and just documentation of what we do. Um, it's a very thoughtful and thought provoking article that I would recommend. Um, take the time to read it. It's 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 it may seem like an academic paper, but it's when you get into it, it's it's actually quite interesting reading and, and well worth your time. And again, um, I enjoyed reading. I learned a lot from it, especially some of the history um, with ENFERS. And then just, you know, you cite something that Virginia Beach, I believe, is the department that's doing some innovative ways of training their um, personnel to do high quality documentation and reports. And so I think if you if you all read that, you'll you'll get some good ideas for your for your own department, too. So. You mentioned law enforcement, and I think you you covered that, you know, really really well. Um, what other thoughts do you have as far as the future of Enfers? And and again, thinking globally, right? The future of document documenting and managing the data within our business, right? The fire and EMS industry, the public safety uh, first responder, and again, I'm focusing primarily on fire and EMS for for sure. Where do you see it going, Matt? Where do you see not just Enfers, but the value of what we're collecting and, and how it's going to matter um, in the years ahead as a 21st century fire department? Yeah, and that's, um, I think there's a lot that goes into this. And this is really this idea of an eco, a data ecosystem that, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and again, that Enfers is a, an important part of that, but it is not, um, sometimes we, synonymous, like you use Enfers and fire data as, as synonymous, but actually 
fire data is much larger and there's a lot of other things that that uh, other types of data that fire departments collect that is not does not make its way into an NFERS report and may never make its way into an NFERS report, but is really valuable in how fire departments uh, manage their organizations and identify opportunities for improvement and what have you. And so we're starting to see that uh, fire departments are, are taking a really broad look at, uh, at the data in their organization. And again, this is beyond just incident and data documentation. So there, we're now starting to look um, more effectively at uh, for act perhaps like inspections and community mm -hmm. risk reduction activities and, and fire departments are, are starting to look at data that again is was not created by us so like census data is another um, um, one that a lot of people organizations are starting to look at try to as they do their community risk assessment and so what we're seeing is we're, uh, we're there's a uh, um, again this the more people um, get into data. Initially, they come into it thinking, okay, we need to improve our, our incident documentation and, and perhaps look at uh, how do we, how do we um, improve the timestamps, like the collection of timestamps for uh, incident response. So I can, you know, can tell the difference of like, are we doing a good job for turnout time or travel time or, or what have you. But then the more departments actually look at their data, they realize how much data they have and, and how much other information that they're, they're collecting and, and that there's a lot of opportunities to evaluate that. So, so we're seeing a lot of fire departments that are, um, that are emphasizing the, uh, they're putting a lot of emphasis in terms of um, the, the analysis of data. So, hmm. um, so fire departments are, uh, are starting to, um, are starting to either, bring on analysts um, like people who have uh, or come perhaps from another industry that have already have a lot of experience as analysts. We also have fire departments that are buying um, analytical software. There's a bunch of kind of uh, domain specific or fire or EMS specific um, analytical tools. And then there's frankly just some of the basic ones like Excel pivot tables and, and uh, Power BI and, and uh, a lot of these other tools that are just kind of off the shelf. And so we're seeing we're we're seeing a lot of departments that are now trying to do analysis, but but when they do that, they typically come full circle. They do like they bring on people who have really, in many cases, are doing can do some really interesting thing, but but then they usually end up back in the same place of how do we improve the data collection in the first place? The old saying, garbage in, garbage out. Right. Um, and so yeah. I like to say, uh, good stuff in, good stuff out. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's other versions of that too. Um, <laughs> and so, um, so there's, uh, um, so the fire departments are, are kind of are realizing that they're, they need to improve throughout the life cycle. And, and again, part of that is then like, what cool stuff can you do with your data? Um, and that's a, that's a key part of it. But, uh, um, and, and so we're now we're seeing that, um, uh, we're, we're, we're seeing uh, fire departments do some different, uh, in interesting work in it. To the point where actually I've, I've, in fact, just the other day had a couple of people reach out, from, one from Ireland and another one from Idaho, or no, from uh, from uh, um, South Dakota. So, I mean, those are relatively diverse communities. Sure. Mm -hmm. Both are reaching out uh, in the fire service, uh, asking about trying to create a data governance plan for their fire department. And so I really just want to emphasize that, like, we're having really complex departments and and in fire departments of all sizes that are starting to say, we have so much data. We don't even know what half of it is. We don't know what half of it's used for. We don't know whether, how good it is. And more importantly, 
we don't know how valid it is to when we use that information to go to elected officials and try to articulate a point. And so, uh, and so they're, they're doing some really, again, like firefighters probably never heard of the idea or the concept in many cases of a data governance plan. It's, it's certainly not something that's taught in the recruit school, no, but we're now st- we're starting to like, we're getting fire departments that are asking really complex questions uh, and really uh, mature ways of using and collecting and thinking about uh, data. And so I think there's a real opportunity um, that, uh, and there's also the great thing is a lot of people that are, 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 that are kind of blazing this path. They're for one asking questions, but they're also willing to share their lessons learned. And so we're seeing a lot of, uh, uh, collaboration and, uh, and sharing of information. And so just to wrap that point up, I had a, uh, um, I, I'd heard someone pointed me to a, uh, there was a, a data scientist that was hired by a, um, by a department in the Phoenix area. And so I had reached out to him and, uh, and he was blown away. He's like, I didn't know that there was other analysts uh, that work for fire departments. He, he actually said, I thought I was like a one person island. He's like, I hmm. thought I was the only analyst or data scientist that ever had been hired by a fire department. And uh, uh, he was really tickled pink when I mentioned that I introduced him to like some, some groups of like of other analysts from fire departments because we we're able to share insights and, hey, I'm working on this project and I, I keep running into this particular problem. Has anyone else come into the, come, uh, run into this problem and more importantly, come up with a solution? So we're, there's a lot of kind of sharing that's going on. And so it's helping move our industry forward. So. Yeah, leave it to the Phoenix metro area to, to lead the way again, <laughs> right? Uh, sure. So um, just in, a, in the few minutes that we have left, um, you know, I, you, you made me think of um, when I was at the National Fire Academy, I remember uh, reading um, like with recognition prime decision-making and the sheer number of decisions that are made from the time you're dispatched to an incident and throughout the incident. I mean, we're in the dozens, maybe hundreds of decisions that are made by the incident commander, um, by the participants on the fire ground or, or at the incident, whatever it may be. I'd be curious if there's ever been a study on the sheer number of data points in, in the day in the life of a fire department. How, how many, the, the sheer volume of data, both meaningful and not, right? I know the, not all of it is gonna have, you know, deep meaning and decision-making, but we sure do collect a lot from, in our inspections, to our rig checks, to incidents, to training. I mean, you know, and a good a good platform will bring it all together, right? Because Nemesis is never going to do Enfers, and Enfers is never going to do Nemesis, but agencies are going to be accountable to both. So then the vendor comes in play, a good vendor is going to come into play and be able to aggregate those in a successful platform, right? A successful um, tool for agencies to manage it, but it's, it would be, a, it'd be an interesting study just to see how much we're actually doing on a day-to-day basis that we can actually collect meaningful data on. Yeah, that's great uh, point. And were, so a couple of years ago, um, I think it was someone from the Las Vegas fire, uh, fire rescue had, had put together a illustration. Um, it looked like a wiring diagram to be honest okay. uh, of all the different software um, systems that their own fire department uh, use. And there that's, was, in your, that's in your article. Yeah. And, and so, uh, and the reason I bring this up is every one of those software is, uh, is managed by a different company and, and some of them play better. Uh, some of them play nice and are willing to enable, uh, both technically able and, and uh, politically willing to share data between their software systems. Some of them are not. 
um, some of them are, are kind of these standalone islands. And so the reason I bring this up is that uh, um, we're getting to a point where um, there's just there's these systems that like just non like ending uh, list of, uh, of various different systems that uh, fire departments use might manage. And so, but the other part, I don't remember if I mentioned it in that the write-up about Las Vegas was that uh, uh, one of my colleagues at NFPA, when I was at there, um, I had shared it with him and because he, he was retired from Las Vegas and fire and he, and he said, yeah, that looks right. But he's like, but that's only for operations. <laughs> and he's like, because he worked in the, uh, the fire marshal's office, he's like, oh, that doesn't count the other dozen or so systems that we interface within the fire marshal's office. And, uh, um, and so, but it was really just this, like, it was just, um, again, I was already sort of had been in this world for a while, but it was probably the clearest illustration to me about how complex this of a picture um, it is in many, many, particularly metro departments. And so, but the, the key part there is also, there's such a need at this point to, uh, to get these software systems to play together. And in the, from a technical standpoint, APIs and all these other technical ways of connecting systems are, are this mature technology has been there for a long time. Right. We're not, we're not inventing anything new here, but, uh, um, but the willingness to share data between systems is, uh, is sometimes where it falls apart. And, and more importantly, the, um, the way in which the, the data is collected in different formats um, and perhaps is not portable because of that is that's really where a lot of this stuff falls apart. And so when I was at NFPA, one of the big things we we're uh, trying to figure out is how do we, how do we emphasize uh, and facilitate standardization without uh, creating uh, an onerous uh, approach that would then um, stifle innovation? Right. And well, so, that, that wasn't some of the result of that NFPA 950 and 951, if I remember right. Correct. And NFPA 950 and 951 had been around for a little while. They, I think they were, I think it just came out of this third cycle, I believe. Um, and so, uh, uh, but we were trying to move that forward and there's a lot of, um, and, it's, and again, it's a, it's a balancing act of how do we, how do we incentivize, um, and, and again, of course, the, the, the committee members were the one that actually kind of um, figured this all out, but uh, we were trying to figure out how, to, how do we support that um, as they're kind of thinking on this. But so we were trying to figure out how do you, um, how do you create an environment that encourages collaboration and, and sharing of data, but, but doesn't stifle innovation or doesn't create these rigid structures that says thou shall use this particular format or particular technology or particular whatever. Um, and so, but a key part of that, and, and really, I mean, the kind of the, the, to wrap that point up is that vendors and the software vendor community has a really important um, part of this, uh, of driving innovation in this, in this whole industry. And there's some really innovative stuff going on. The downside yeah. is there's also some really antiquated technology that's being passed around and, and kind of uh, um, is still being utilized. And so um, perhaps if there's a silver lining of, of uh, um, cause if there is a, a, a substantial change to Envers in the future, it will create a lot of uh, um, growing pains. Inevitably, anytime you have change, it's gonna, it's gonna create some, um, some, some waves if you will. Um, but, I guess I would say my personal hope is that uh, in doing so, it might uh, create uh, um, drive a lot more innovation in the industry as as the as these companies continue to figure out how to compete. And so, mm -hmm. uh, um, 
And so I'm hoping that that will actually have a knock-on effect of, of improving how fire departments collect data because if NFIRST doesn't change uh, or as it hasn't changed, fire departments have been able to use these legacy systems that perhaps were designed for a different, um, a, a different age right. And, right. Uh, and perhaps aren't... Um, perhaps are on older technology platforms and, and aren't really uh, keeping up with kind of modern trends and modern technology and modern interfaces. So well, there might be some, there might be some consternation about uh, um, how that change occurs and there might be some hiccups. I think it will actually drive innovation in this industry. And, uh, and if nothing else, it'll keep these, uh, keep the software vendors uh, demonstrating that, um, that, the way they're going to provide value is, is through innovation and making the user interfaces faster and easier and, and easier to, to learn and, and easier to enter data in, into. And so I think that's going to be, uh, that's one of the other reasons I think there's a real need and opportunity for, uh, as Enfers, uh, as we figure out what the, what the future of Enfers might hold, that the, the vendors have a, a really important uh, part of this, but also they can really, um, they can really leverage this change and, and really dramatically improve the whole industry. Yeah, I think we're excited to be part of it. Um, you know, here at First Do for sure. But I th- and I think, you know, when you speak like you do about all of this, if I if I'm in the fire service, right, and I'm I'm in an ancillary part of it, I spent you know time as a, as a career firefighter for 22 years, but it's exciting. Um, especially those that do get inspired, like like you do, like I do, about the power of data to tell your story, to improve the safety and reduce the risk in your communities. I think there's just tremendous opportunities in the future for um, those that want to advance their career. If 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 you're not sure if you like data, but you're interested, I would advise. You know, you might wind up being the next Dr. Matt Hines Aldrich. Who knows? <laughs> um, but but you need you you can bring value to your department, right? And then you've got the the governing bodies, the Nemesis and the Enfers, uh, and and you've got the vendors, and then you've got us out there um, advocating for you know the quality, not just the quantity, but the quality. And I think uh, the future, while challenging, looks looks really promising. And uh, You've shared a lot of that with us today, Matt, and I'm just, I'm grateful to you um, for spending time with me. And I know our viewers and listeners are going to going to get a lot out of it. And I'm going to make sure that your article um, about Enfers is included so that they can, they can review that and, and deep, take a little deeper dive than just what we talked about today, because there's a lot, a lot of insight in that article. And, and I found it fascinating. So um, with that, I, I can't thank you enough. I can't wait for our paths to cross again. Hopefully at a future conference once more traveling resumes. And uh, again, thank you so much, Matt. Thanks, Tom. Really appreciate the opportunity. All right. We'll see you again soon. All right. Thanks. Take care. You're welcome. Thank you, Matt.